Hello, friends! Welcome to episode 134 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? You know, I'm struggling with my tablet today, so I'm using my phone <laughs> for the oh, show goody. sheet. This will be great. Uh, do, you, do you need me to, to tilt nah, my tablet your direction we'll be fine. there? We'll be fine. All right. All right, we uh, uh, we had your your game last uh, last weekend. We did. We how did. Do you, how do you think that went? Um, I think I struggled a little bit at times, uh, but I felt like the energy level was very low. Yeah, with everybody, that everybody was just kind of struggling a little bit with with general energy as hmm. as, as as people. Uh, but I think in the end, you guys did great. I think it it, it pulled through. It did just fine. Um, having excuse me, such a long break between combat. Yeah. I think definitely changed the feel of how you guys moved through that. So, cause it was one combat scenario kind of continuing stretched across two game sessions. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. yeah. So, um, which I don't normally like doing, but at the same time, I think it was kind of necessary. Yeah, it was kind so. of a climactic scene though, you know? Yeah. So, uh, it's a, put, puts kind of a nice bookend on, on, on a chapter there. I'm sure we've got, we've got a, uh, an epilogue chapter to go, Correct. Or, or, or episode to go, but uh, but we that that more or less wrapped up the plot in the area. We just have to kind of like say goodbyes and some fu's to some people. And <laughs> yeah, def- definitely, I would agree with all of that. So, um, but I, I think I think it went really well. Um, you had some uh, 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 some interesting um, waves of NPCs come in. Like I, I thought yeah. it was a really good encounter from a standpoint of it. Uh, rather than throwing like 300, you know, dark elves at us all at the same time, you threw like five at a time and then surprise three rounds later, here's a mage and then here's a couple other assassins and stuff. Yeah. I, I, I kind of um, wanted it to feel like they were about as unprepared for you yet. They were thinking it was going to be something else. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted it to have that feel that it was a struggle on both sides, but at the same time they're like, we're not, we're not ending this. Mm-hmm. This isn't just going to end that simply. And I wanted to leave you guys enough gap space to have it go a couple different ways. Um, and I had some plans. Like one of the options was uh, you realizing that you were getting flanked from behind and flooding it anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and seeing what happened. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, or trying to cover up the hole. Or trying to deal with, you know, going down in after them. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those were options that were on the table and you guys went with option a let's cave this thing in and just get the heck out of here yeah yeah and i I think that was one of the other things i really liked about the combat encounter was that um rather than just being at you know side a versus side b and whoever's got you know people standing at the end wins Mm -hmm. it was it kind of had a victory condition where we're going into these uh these caverns and trying to arm and set off some bombs that had been planted in there mm-hmm. for just such a such an instance, but we needed to make sure that they were all connected, essentially, and that we could trigger them. Yeah, and and learning about what the truth was behind the prison itself, mm-hmm. like where it had come from, why it was there. Yep. Um, and there's still a little bit of discovery there, but I think you guys figured out the the primary premise that it wasn't a prison to start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. I thought that was that was really really well done. Thank you, uh, so thank you. Great, greatly enjoyed game. So. What was funny was one of the things that came up in it was the fact that we had some issues with familiars. Yeah, we had. Uh, oh, geez, my my character is 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 an evoker wizard, but I swear I spend more time summoning elementals. Way than conjurer. more. Way more time you spend summoning. Um, 
but you know, it's I gotta I gotta have a tank while I'm stand to, to stand behind while I, I blaster cast. You know, that is true. That is true. Um, so every, everything after the first spell is a, is an evocation, but the first one's always a conjuration for me. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd but then uh, yeah, and we've got two wizards in the party. Uh, myself and uh, and our uh, and and Overwatch, mm-hmm. uh, who frequently submits questions for us and such like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, we both had our familiars out. Mm-hmm. I had a summoned earth elemental. Uh, so there was a lot of a lot of NPCs on the board. Yeah, working yeah. for us. Um, and uh, just some of the mechanics there were a little uh, uh, garbling for the moment mm-hmm. of trying to figure out like when they would be useful, how would they would be useful. Uh, and I think that set some things apart um, with uh, some of the players and, and, and comments were made that, like, I didn't feel like this ha- was handled well. Not necessarily by any fault, but that the mechanics itself just made it kind of blah. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Well, I think that was in more in reference to Bigby's hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bigby's hand sits in a weird space where it's not technically like an autonomous summoned creature. Correct. It's more along the lines of a spiritual weapon. It's something you have to physically, like, manipulate yourself and yeah, tell it what to do. It's an object, which is the way it's defined. And I'm like, okay, that makes a lot more sense for why it can't do things right. on its own. Bigby's hand doesn't have a brain. No. You know. There's no no autonomous. It's not a summoned creature. It is merely a summoned object, uh, which is a funny way of saying it. But, I mean, the spiritual weapon is the same thing. Yeah. Um. There's there's actually a number of things that that work in that same way. Tensor's floating disc, I think, mm-hmm. and things like that. Where like they're they're just force objects that mm-hmm. act in certain ways. Yeah. So funny kind of dovetail into today, uh, in the sense that what we're going to be talking about is, you know, uh, your companions, your followers, your pets, your familiars, those things that are attached to the players but aren't characters within themselves. They're NPCs as well. NPC extensions to the party. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in that, um, it can cause a lot of disservice, a lot of confusion. It can slow and muddle play. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of terrible reasons not to even include them. I, I know for a lot of my games uh, that I played in, there were game masters who were very adamant about no followers, no companions, no pets. Yeah, I, I understand that completely. Um, yeah. uh, like, Sean wanted uh, very much to have followers and companions for his character. He's playing a, a very char- charismatic bard, yeah. noble character. Uh, and so it makes perfect sense for him to want companions or bodyguards or things like that. Yeah. And uh, I, I know initially when he started wanting to do that, there was a there was definitely a part of me that just bristled at the idea. Mm-hmm. Of like, mm-hmm. oh, God, I don't want to I don't want to handle that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and for what it's worth, he was very cool about it. He's like, look, if this is something you don't want to handle, like, just let me know, because you seem like it really aggravates you. Well, I mean, it immediately puts a stress on mm-hmm. trying to achieve what like, what would normally feel like a, a an easy thing, because mm-hmm. you now have another NPC to manage, something else to worry about. And so... We're gonna. I, I kind of want to step into this with the followers and companions, which is what he specifically talked about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And these are again, just to quickly define these, if you're not comfortable or not familiar with this, um, followers and companions are other characters, other traditionally bipedal and intelligent characters that can react, but they are NPCs. They are controlled by the storyteller um, for the most part, um, but are, their actions are often dictated and. Um, 
directed by the players. Mm-hmm. Um, common examples of this uh, back in D&D was even back in first edition when fighters reached ninth level. If they had a stronghold, um, they could get followers who would take care of their stronghold. Yep. yep. Um, naturally, you know, people who wanted to be around them, wanted to be around those riches and take, you know, and, and take care of them, you know, servants and serfs and advisors and things like that. Sure, sure. Um, AD&D picked this up in, uh... Second edition, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, at fifth, and I think you actually got warriors. Okay. You actually got, like, you would have other guardsmen come with you. Uh, and I always thought that was kind of interesting, that basically you ga- you garner an adventuring party with you at times. Yeah, yeah. Um, third edition had the leadership skill, which allowed you to have them. Um, that one I remember. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember that in third edition. Yeah, and number, I was number of followers equal to your charisma modifier or yeah. something like that. Like it got abused. It was instantly heavily. like I have four followers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I always thought that that was interesting. And I watched people abuse it left and right. Oh, of course, especially bards who just be like, "I have groupies, and my groupies will defend me." You yeah, know? and it's it's, yeah. it's it's a sad thought that you're going into that, and we'll uh, kind of explain why. But um, it definitely made it feel very muddled. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, Savage Worlds itself uh, has several edges that deal with commanding followers. Yeah. Um, they're a lot less uh, you attract a follower and mm-hmm. a lot more of like y- if if there are NPCs under your command, if there are extras under your command, right. you can now spend your, your bennies for them. Right. Or you can now use your beneficial abilities on non-wild cards that are mm-hmm. under your command and things like that. Right. Um, and those are, those are kind of neat. Um. But I think Savage Worlds, um, because of its its play style and because of its sort of stripped down rule system and such like that, plays a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're, I I, I, w- I would say you're not on average penalized as much time wise and uh, sort of mental encumbrance wise if you don't uh, or if if you include followers. Right. Um, it's it's just a lot easier to do in Savage Worlds, I think, than than in D anD. d um, but also like, you know, we, we kind of mentioned earlier, like my character summoning up an elemental and such as that, like those kind of fit under the same, under the same banner in a sense, in a sense. They're, they're less lasting NPCs, but they kind of still have the same side effect of like adding another creature to the combat initiative round. Yeah. I think they fit in that. I mean, let's, when we talk about it mechanically, we're talking about, uh, they can add to combat. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Um, more than likely they're they're going to be there to help reduce the mundane tasks you know shopping uh, maintenance uh gathering some information like research things like that things that the the players may while they're out adventuring may have them do in another sure. way sure um negotiating or sending messages is another big thing um but the biggest thing is that they're they're there to assist and give 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 some level of assistance whether it's an advantage on a role or straight up giving you kind of a passive mm-hmm. role on an existing thing whereas like you have perception that's passive you know and you have your passive saves there's no reason why you can't have a you know a a hired researcher give you a passive on a you know give your your whatever your your base lore skill is a passive role for that as well. Sure, sure, absolutely. So. Uh, you mentioned even shopping. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can imagine like if time is on a premium, you know, yeah. we need to leave in the morning, but yeah. I don't have the time to go and shop for the ingredients and then exactly. do the ritual that uses the ingredients. 
I can be setting up the ritual while a, an NPC that I've got as a follower is going out and buying these things for right. me. And you wouldn't think that sort of thing is so, so useful, but oh my god, I can think of a dozen times off the top of my head. That... Well, especially when you've got higher level characters sure. who've got a lot more going on. The last thing they want to think about doing is maintenance tasks. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So. And that's just the non-combat stuff, and obviously, you know, arming them up and fighting in combat is, is a whole other benefit. You know, yeah. an extra, extra warm body on your side. Exactly, exactly. Um, but one of the things that I think is express- expressively important um, about that is that they are on the PC side at all times. They're on that side of the table. Sure, sure. Um, and that's, I think, one of the hardest parts about um, storytelling, that this kind of gives you something indirectly. And that is is that when you're presenting information, um, whether it be you know a description in a dungeon or an item that they found or or um, you know a note on a body or something like that, there's always that air as a player to believe is this a red herring? Is this factual? How honest is and truthful is this information? And oh yeah, the par- paranoia runs deep in some tabletop role playing games. Very much so, and that more, I think more depends on where you came from. Sure, but these types of people uh, and individuals uh, and and characters can be definitely presented as a way to present truthful and factual information. This, anything coming from these are, are, is as if they're on their side of the table and getting these honest answers. Yeah. Um, and that right there gives you that, um, for lack of a better term, um, that advisor on that side of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, that the players can feel confident about, that they can be constantly reminded to go to, as saying, like, you know, well, I need them to go find research on this. And they will bring the facts to them. You know, uh, I always thought it was interesting that when uh, when a companion or a follower finds something, it can always be a factual thing because they're not a conniving character. They're mm-hmm. an honest, truthful character to them at all times. Sure, absolutely. And I think, I think the few people who I've seen who have turned companions and followers on players are doing a horrible disservice to their to their players i think you're destroying all of the trust you have at the table honestly exactly and if you want to watch characters become paranoid of literally every single person they meet forever for the rest of that campaign yeah that's the quickest way to do it is turn one of their followers against them yeah i mean there are games that that put adversarial or contentious things in i mean seventh c has it with Starcrossed and with hunted and things like that where you will always have an npc but those are more like plot elements that the player is giving you access to those aren't followers yeah or, or, those or aren't, companions those aren't followers those yeah. aren't those aren't those are not designed to be someone who is your trusted ally who is in service to you correct ever yeah um, and I, I think that's that's one of the other big things, too, is like uh, looking at, uh, for instance, Savage World's rules on like animal companions. Mm-hmm. That's an edge. Yeah. You spend an advance. Exactly. To get that. Yep. Um, and it even says, I mean, basically, because you, you, you do spend an advance on there. Like if your animal, if something happens to your animal companion, whatever that whatever that may be, if you're if you are separated from your animal companion, you get a new one. Yeah. Like whatever contrivance the storyteller needs to make to make that happen, whether it's a magical thing or whether it's a mm-hmm. you go out and you befriend, you know, another one wanders out of the woods and you make friends with it or whatever. Right. Whatever story contrivance you need to get there, you spent points on it. Mm-hmm. You get it. Yeah. And that's that's the thing that I always liked bringing back around is the fact that it is a pl- it is a character bonus 
that right. you're doing this. You've you've paid for it or you've earned it, and therefore it is something on your side of the table. We're not talking about random NPC Bob that you met at the corner store and who befriended. you to chat up. Yeah, this is someone you spend points for. You bought the leadership feat. You bought the right. animal companion feat. You have the followers feat. Whatever. It's, it's a level nine, you know, thing that you get. It's a you know. Uh, I remember Rangers always got an animal companion. You know, yeah. uh, druids too. I think. Yeah, right? druids as well. Uh, wizards get their familiars. The, again, they're never going to turn on them. Yep. There will always be a point of honesty and fact. Yeah. Um, and that's that's that that is a line that can't be crossed and should never be crossed. Agreed. So. Agreed. Um, I I really like uh having NPCs or NPC followers and stuff of like that as connections to the PC's backstory. Oh, that's great. Yeah, or where it's where they reference it constantly. Yes. Um. So you know, having someone who is maybe like a retainer to your to your fallen noble house or something like yeah. that, who you know, maybe you were you and them were the only persons who got out as you know as the the other noble family decided to you know kill all the members of your family, Game of Thrones style. Right. You know? Um. So you have that shared bond with them, and they trust you implicitly as mm-hmm. their as their liege. Mm-hmm. But you can also trust them implicitly as a loyal bodyguard. You know, yeah. Sort of I thing. I always look at at character major characters who would be considered followers or companions, like Alfred to Batman. Oh yeah, he is. He is a. He doesn't always agree with him. He doesn't always see eye to eye with him. But one hundred percent backs whatever he's doing, and always has his best interest. And in always mind. has his best interest in mind. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, there's there are definitely countless examples of these in the stories. Um, almost every major sidekick mm-hmm. kind of has that feel where they're they're there for the main character. They're there for the main part of the story, and they feel for them, and they will bring them. But I mean, they're going to tell them when it's a dumb idea, mm-hmm. and and that's that's the whole. Uh, beauty of being able to play those types of characters as a storyteller is it allows you to still be a little whimsical it allows you to still add edges it still still challenge what they're doing yeah absolutely it, but also recognize that they are there for them yeah absolutely you know i'm your man for all time <laughs> you know is a great <laughs> yeah. line from uh, uh kind of monte cristo kind of monte cristo where yep. he basically is just like why are we doing it this way we could just go in get the girl leave bing bang boom we're done we're back by we're back by the weekend you boom, know boom 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 how <laughs> is this a bad plan, plan you know but it's he, he has to get his revenge and he's yep. like fine then i will help you get your revenge yep you know, yeah. and because I'm I'm here for you no matter what. And yeah, I, was such a yeah, great character. He was a, an incredible companion, mm-hmm. an incredible companion. Um, some, some one thing that I didn't put in here was uh, sometimes your players hand the companion that they get to you on a silver plate, where they tell you something that happened to them or something that they did, mm-hmm. and you can easily see someone who would follow them into the darkness. Sure. And I, I love those. That helps you get a, a vision of who these people are very quickly on versus them saying, yeah, I'm looking for an advisor. And then you're like, okay, what are we going to do? I mean, you came to me with an idea of two guards. Uh-huh. And I kind of gave you a, like a Laurel and Hardy thought behind them. And you, you ran with it a little bit, I would say. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I thought it, they turned out pretty fantastic, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or uh, Jay and Silent Bob. You know, where like one of them literally <laughs> says nothing, but when he does say something, it's very meaningful and, and point. Or you know. the, uh, the the two the two that I brought in. Uh, yeah. On uh, my last game, uh, Bill Gannon and uh, and Joe Friday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, fantastic names. Um, but I think th- those types of things that, um, that g- give you those opportunities to kind of flex yourself and have reoccurring characters that your players can 
trust mm-hmm. and can put something in. Um, juxtaposition to that is pets and familiars, which are not necessarily going to communicate at the same level. They're animals. They're not growing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, rarely, I think in some system, I, I want to say back in, I want to say second edition, you're as a ranger or as a druid, your animal companion did grow. Like it gained levels or, or became something else. Um, or you transitioned it to something else. I can't remember. Uh, uh, yeah. But I want to say there was some kind of growth there. Animal companions were always, were always a thing like uh, that I I was new, existed, but uh, every single time I always forget they exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, ha- I'm, I'm a much better role player now than I was then, and half of um, our games I forget that my snow owl uh, rhyme exists. Yeah, that exists. And it's a familiar, yeah. which you can call and drop whenever pretty much you want. Mm-hmm. Um. And especially in in fifth edition, it is literally just a summoned kind of semi permanent creature that is more of an energy than an actual creature. Uh, I like them a lot more in fifth edition because you're a lot less punished for them mm-hmm. uh, for for having them out there. The trick with familiars in earlier editions was always that they were essentially an animal mm-hmm. that you created some sort of magical bond with, yep. and so you have this like three hit point hawk that is your familiar and if it dies you lose like it's it's a real gut wrenching experience for, right. the, for the wizard and I, I don't yeah. remember exactly what the penalties were for it, it was but, it was something but, in but there were there were some direct and harsh penalties for having your familiar and then killed. getting a new one took effort it took a lot of effort yeah. yeah um and so you had no incentive whatsoever to send this three hit point hawk out to help you mm-hmm. um for the 1d4 damage it was going to do with its claws right because you know? that's all it could do you'd, yeah you'd, you'd basically put it somewhere to watch but you'd have it hide so fifth edition's a lot more a lot more forgiving with it um with the find familiar spell first off it's not a given class feature anymore right uh, you actually need to do the find familiar spell um and then when you do it is specified that it's basically like a fey creature it's an otherworldly entity that mm-hmm. takes the shape of an animal Mm-hmm. Um, but is magically bound to you. If it gets killed, that just means its material body was dissipated and it goes back to the Feywild or whatever sure. your setting is appropriate. You know, mm-hmm. um, in my setting, there were summoned Daedra, mm-hmm. uh, and so they would just go back to whatever Daedra plane you uh, uh, they they were they were summoned from in the first place, and you just had to do a little ritual, spend ten gold worth of incense, and summon them back. Yep. Yeah. It was a, it it was a very simple thing. Um, my current world is a little different. And- it's interesting that you guys haven't described what you think is going on there uh, with everything else you've talked about magically in that world. Um, but at the same time, like they are different creations and how they differ uh, from companions is that um, traditionally the pets and familiars, depending on the system, definitely have more mechanical rules that apply to them. Um, and mechanical sense of how they, they come into form and what they're allowed to do. Um, and they aren't necessarily given independent intelligence other than the ability to react to situations. Right. It's right. all about the masters uh, or the character who's in, who's in ownership of them doing the control uh, and when they can do that control. So it's a, it's a very limited um, intelligence. Oh sure. I mean, in in I mean, the fact that we're we're starting with an animal, whether it's magical of nature or not, you know, mm-hmm. you're you're typically dealing with an intelligence score of like three, you know, right? Where they they they're not they're not capable of sentient thought mm-hmm. or anything like that. I mean, they they certainly have you know, uh, maybe am I, am I misusing sentience? Um, 
I think we can avoid it as a term at this moment in time because I don't think it's nearly as important as you. As but what, what, but what, yeah. I, what I mean, though, is that they don't they don't like you can't sit them down and ask them what their hopes and dreams are. You know, Correct. they're not saving for college. Right. They, you know, they just want to a make sure that their master is safe and happy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure they're happy and safe and stuff Correct. like that. And that's basically it. Yeah, I you mean, know. it's if you're dealing with the pets versus the familiars, there's you could argue that they're part of a pack and that they're bonded to their uh, to their master in a in a friendly pack sense, mm-hmm. and so therefore they're 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 taking care of themselves at the expense of their master of their pack's need. Sure. Um, and you know, to a degree, you could definitely you know bend and role play that any necessary way you want. Obviously, there are stories where you know the you know the 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 gray tiger of the group who the ranger has dislikes everyone but the ranger, but eventually starts liking the mage because she feeds him. Yeah, you know? yeah, and I yeah, think yeah. that's where you're given that little bit of leverage as a as a storyteller to to have it still be connected to all the players. Oh, sure, sure. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm by, by no means am I trying to insinuate that like you can't role play with an animal companion. Of course not. You absolutely can. You absolutely yeah. can. I've seen it done all the time. I've done it myself. Yeah. Um. But, uh, you're you're not like I said. You're it's they're they're not people. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to have that same sort of level of complexity that you're going to have. Yeah. With they're not going to go NPC. do research or do shopping or go thieve things. Exactly. Your role play is going to be a lot more of like who's got the food, mm-hmm. <laughs> where are they sleeping tonight, sort right? Of thing you know. You know, but they're but they're directed enough to not redirect themselves. Yes. Um. And I think there is a distinction between pets and familiars Mm -hmm. and what they are capable of and things like that. They are not the same thing. You are never going to send a pet into combat um, unless they are a combat creature. Um, Yeah. And I think that's a I I think that's the big difference is that that like, yeah, okay, your your pet is a bear. All right. It's probably going to go fight alongside of you, but it's still a bear. It's Mm -hmm. it's not going to just suddenly rush four armored guys because you direct it to and stand back and wait for it to get a job done it's going to fight along your side right. if it's not an animal companion and it's not a pet or it's not a, it's not a, a familiar if it's literally just a pet like think the dog or cat you have in your house right pet yeah you know without a lot of combat training you know like i cannot send my cat paradox into combat. No, it wants wet food and it's done otherwise. Yes, if, if she will complain if she does not get crunchy treats at 7.30, she's not about to fight on my behalf, she is afraid of the vacuum. Yeah, she's just not <laughs> stepping in. On the other hand, if it's a summoned creature or or part of a, a sense, like if as a ranger you get you know, a wolf or a, a bear or, you know, something like that. Sure, again, you're talking about something that's backed by game mechanics. Correct. It's either a spell that has summoned it and that is therefore magically compelled, mm-hmm. or the magic itself forms it, a sort of a magical construct. Yep. Or, like I said, you've got a rule that says, yeah, there's this wolf and it really likes you and it will fight for you. Here's the rules for it. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember games where people are like, hey, can I have a pet X? And I'm like, yeah, I don't care. And then later on, they're like, well, my pet goes and does this. And I'm like, no. Your pet fucking doesn't. No, your no. pet. No, your, your pet, your pet literally. sleep on a warm rock right now. Exactly. Like, no, it's, it's, it, that's not how that works. Like, you don't just get a freebie out of that. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if you have, you know, 
animal handling and you pay the money and you get a trained falcon, sure, it could go and retrieve a mouse for you or a squirrel or or a bunny or something on hunting because that's what it can do. But it's also going to eat that damn thing. <laughs> oh, God, I'm thinking back to this, uh, this video I saw of this uh, male hawk that was trying to do some hunting while the female hawk was out. Oh, Lord. And he, like, catches a whole mouse and brings it back and he's got these tiny little babies. The mouse is bigger than the babies. Right. And he just kind of tosses the mouse on top of them and then just stares at them all confused like... Why are you not eating? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Luckily, mom came back and shredded the mouse shredded up a little the mouse, bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Slapped her on the dad. I could, I could feel that. I could feel that. I'm just thinking it's like you're sending, sending out your animal companion, Falcon, and bringing a mouse back and just staring at you all like with that, with that sort of bird-like confusion of like, why are you not eating it? <laughs> yeah. I would tear this thing apart right now if, if it wasn't for you telling me then this is you know the right thing. I mean, but it's no different than like your cat bringing a mouse to you on your bed saying, look what I did. See, and I love that sort of role play. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love that sort of role play because it, it really it really humanizes the situation a lot mm-hmm. or, or, you know, you get, you get cute moments like that. You can take it a little far, though. You can. Sometimes you, your, your storyteller really gets into acting like a cat and you're like, OK, this is weird now. Yeah, but that's but I think that's where things get complicated with any anything, whether it's your followers, your companions, your pets, wh- whatever. Mm. I mean, you can always take it too far. I think that uh, when the when the companion becomes funnier or part of the story, I think you run you run heavy risks there, um, and it can completely complicate the game. Oh, it can. It can. Without and a doubt. It this, can... I think, was where, uh, like, I, I kind of wanted to, to, to do this show. And there, there are certain shows that you and I do yeah. that are like, hey, I've got some opinions on this <laughs> and I want to share this with people because sure. I have a microphone. Yeah. Um, And then there are other shows where it's like, I don't know crap about this. And honestly, this vexes me every time it comes up <laughs> in a game. Let's do a show about it so that will force us to research it. Okay, that's fair. That is fair that that's how we do and our shows. And then we can have our discussions about it. Yeah. People on the Discord can talk about it. People can yeah. send in their questions and whatnot, and it forces me to, to think about it. Yeah. And this is one of those shows, because honestly, like, companions, like, not so much animal companions. Like, animal companions are pretty okay to handle, because on the on the general, unless they're being directed actively to do something, like, go attack that target over there, mm-hmm. animal companions are pretty low-key. They, yeah, they manage yeah. themselves. Yeah, you don't ever have to worry about what the what the ranger's wolf is doing because unless he's telling it to go maul somebody, the ranger's wolf is probably sitting next to him. Yeah, or or hunkered next to him, yeah. doing wolf things. Yeah, you know. Um, but like humanoid companions hmm. really complicate things for me. I mentioned earlier, Sean wanted to have a couple bodyguards for his yeah. noble and and wizard, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and uh, and and a wizard later on. Um. And that was, a, that was the very first thing I thought. I was like, God, you know, I don't want to, like... We were playing D&D at the time, so, um, you know, the rules were not as as uh, fast or forgiving of uh, companions in combat and such like that as extra people in combat. So, right. uh, yeah, it really, really kind of really kind of vexed me a little bit, and I had to, like, kind of wrap my head... I, I wanted to say yes to him because it's a good idea. Sure. It's a realistic idea, and it sure. makes sense for his character. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was angry with Sean or anything like that. I don't want to give that impression. But there was a part of me, as a storyteller, I went, this is, this is a hardship I have to take on now, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And how accommodating do I want to be with knowledge, full knowledge of the fact that, that this vexes me, you yeah. know? Yeah, and I, 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 I get that. And a lot of times when, uh, when I'm uh, working with people at the beginning of stories, 
that hits me as well, where I'm like, I don't know how comfortable I am with adding this to my story because I can already, like, I'm seeing four steps ahead. Yeah. Like, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to handle that? I, and I'm trying to think of all the terrible situations that are going to come in, that are going to be involved. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. Sure. So you get defensive in your, as a storyteller. So as I see it, there are three main complications that adding like NPC followers bring in. Uh, so the first thing, obviously that it complex, uh, combat is already complex enough. Right. Um, and it gets much longer the more combatants you have on the board. Mm-hmm. And uh, companions just, just amplify that number even more. Well, especially with um, more tactile, tactical games. Sure. As you farther into the tactical sphere, you're going to run into more issues. Now, granted, most of those tactical games have good mechanics for that, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that it's still more pieces on the board. Yep. We know this. Yep, so. Absolutely. Uh, the second thing is that players tend to be focused on their own actions and forget that their companions or pets exist. Like I mentioned this earlier, I'm this is this is one thing number one with me where I I, I almost never use a uh, a companion or pet ability simply because I get so wrapped up in playing my character, I forget to play my other character. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Even if the character is even just an, just an owl, yeah. I you know. I'm not thinking about an owl. I'm no. thinking about what 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 spells I'm going to cast it around my sheet. Right. You know? Right. Uh, and then the third one is uh, more from a storyteller standpoint. Uh, we want PCs to be the heroes, mm-hmm. and so companions can feel like you're taking the glory away from them. One hundred percent. This isn't a story about some rando NPC. This is a story about the heroic stuff that. Theodane does, or right. Thalian does, right. or Rhaegar does, you right. know? Yeah, I you, I, I, you never want a death blow or, or the final strike or something to come from the companion or the follower or the pet, you know? You, you want that to come from the direction of the player. I will, I will say with one... With one notable exception. What's that? And that is unless commanded directly well, by the player. Correct. Because then the player can be like, ha ha ha, I've got minions. Yeah. And the minions just stab the crap out of somebody, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Then that's that's kind of cool. Like, yeah. that that feels like you've directed that action. But but the impetus for that action came from the player. Right. And he's um, using his, his, his NPCs as well, a tool to, to do it. Even 7C with reputation, where you can... You can call for assistance basically you can use your reputation to get assistance sure uh like in the case of a chase where you're being chased and you want to use your reputation to have them assist you in that chase yeah i think that's again that's a call to followers and a call to companions to assist you with that type of thing and i i do agree with that wholeheartedly. yeah sure because the, because the impetus for the action came from the player correct absolutely correct. So. um but yeah you never you never want you never want to just be like oh yeah uh, uh and this npc goes over here and kills this guy yeah oh Okay, does he? Because I was going to hit him next turn, but oh, okay, I guess that NPC's got that handled. Thanks, you know. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you just want to—you always want to make sure that the, the the heroic stuff is being done by the heroes, and the the menial tasks, the cleanup job, is done for the for the for the NPCs there. Um, so let's let's go through these a little one at a time here. Complex sure. combat. Ooh, yeah. What are what are some of our solutions for this? Because for me, it's always it's it's just a tedium thing, you know. How do we how do we mitigate that? Um, I think the biggest thing, I mean, obviously, if you're not comfortable throwing more things into combat, don't let it be an option. 
Um, sure. You know, don't be afraid I, to say no. Don't be afraid to say no. You don't get guards or you don't get mages who will who will fight. Make them in. Make them not have that be an ability. Their assistance. I mean, like maybe your your fighter wants a minstrel that's a bard. Mm-hmm. Great. He's just not a combat bard. So the moment combat breaks out, he's hiding. <laughs> yep. You know, he's he's back behind the carriage, giving you a giving you solid advice. Yes, get him. Get him. Mm-hmm. Hit him hard. I'll write about this shortly. Uh, let me start working on something. You know, and then he's yeah, he's out of combat. He's not part of it. Have jaskier flashbacks. Yeah, exactly. Witcher. Exactly. That that is a good example of that. Yep. Um, uh, if you guys remember, uh, um, Dragonheart, the monk who was in that, was constantly trying to write poetry. Mm-hmm. While the the while the dra- the dragon slayer was out there, and again, that's that's a good follower who's there to be comical, to be assistive, but at the same time to to step back from combat and not be involved in it at all. Yeah, and I think that's a great way. A, a great first step is be comfortable with not doing it. I think the second step is, and this I think sits farther into uh, followers and companions and uh, animal companions as a whole is. Don't let them be another thing in combat. Allow them to do the same thing that familiars do. They can assist, they can give advantage, but they are they are not physically part of combat. They are not a, a meat shield. They are not something like that. They they can give a specific bonus. Yeah, I'm I'm of two minds on that. I mean, I think if you hand a pike to a to a to a uh, to a follower soldier, you should definitely allow them to stab people with that pike. Um, but I think, I think the big thing is keeping their stat blocks clean. I think that's definitely the third level. You know, it, not, not necessarily saying, well, you, you can't take part in combat. You can only, you know, do the help action or whatever, but rather just being like, look, you can either stab or you can shoot with your bow and that's it. Like you don't have spells. You don't have, right. you know, you don't give bardic inspiration. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, have reckless attacks or anything like, no, that's, that's it. You, you have a, you have a pike. You're an extra. Right. You stab things with a pike. Yeah, I mean, the my own like, and that's where I I kind of differentiate those two. I mean, think of think of as a storyteller, you want to give someone a, a, a basic ability. You know, if it's a foot soldier who's standing next to your fighter, yeah, they can use their pike. They're just not doing anything effective in combat. It gives the fighter advantage because they're there with them. Sure, it, sure. it gives disadvantage on anything that's trying to flank them. Sure, I think that's a great way of handling it as well. And that way, they're not losing that person in combat, and they're giving it a direct advantage. Um, I think later on, sure, giving them maybe an extra attack that's either ranged or close. Sure, I think that works just as well. Yeah, it could be good. Could be good. But it, um, it, it definitely would cut down how much you, as a storyteller, now have to worry about. Okay, an AOE just went off in this area. Are suddenly all of his companions dead? I mean, maybe. That's, right. Right. That's, that's kind of one of the other, you know, the other, the other dangers of NPCs is like, you mm-hmm. know, how how powerful do you make them? But I think we'll we'll get there. We've got a whole yeah. whole thing, you know, for that yeah. later. Yeah. Um. I think the other thing that you have to keep in mind, and, and I, I think this is another big thing, is when do they go? In in the more tactical games, how does how does their reaction fit into the rest of combat, and how is that? How does that carry those benefits? Yeah, that that was one other thing. Like, I because I as you, as we mentioned earlier, you know, you, like this last game of yours last weekend mm-hmm. got really heavy into the followers and the summons and everything like that. Um, and looking at a lot of them, like. 
each and every single one of them, my my uh, my Earth Elemental as well as uh, our both of our summoned familiars, says that they roll their own initiative and go on their own turn. Um, and I for me, like it just has so happened actually that I rolled initiative that 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 everybody went on on or around my turn. I didn't have anybody between me right. and my summons, but I. Uh, like just you having to keep track of yet another thing in the initiative order, rather than just going, Sarah, handle all of your stuff right now. Right. You've got a bird. You've got an earth earth elemental, and you've got yourself. Mm-hmm. Do your stuff. Right. You know. Now suddenly we had these things interspersed throughout our initiative order, and right. it was it was extra bookkeeping for you. Yeah. And I, I looking back on it, I'll even say this is that uh, one of the things that I, I probably should have done is just said. You are the one directing them. They go they're, on. They go on your. Initiative. They're never going to react faster than you. Yep. They're never going to react faster than you, especially in the case of a, a, a situation that you're stepping into. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's an ambush, you may be able to get that first initial reaction off, and therefore they technically could now move faster than other things. But again, they're still never going to move faster than you. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it, it, as far as commands wise. So yeah, so, I, I think it definitely could have could have house ruled that to just go on my turn and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and and I may shift that up. Um and you know, or or that they don't just in the other thing was is even having them go much farther after you like the case of the other character, the other player, it made it even more challenging cuz mm-hmm. it like okay, so now they're going four turns, four other events after me. Is this even useful at this point? How how is this helpful? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and losing that that overall like, well, what's the use of this? And they're supposed to be like in a magical extension of us. Yeah, you know, and yeah. yet they're lagging behind so hard. It's like right. it's like having a bad connection on a game. You know, exactly, exactly. You um, know, what's the significance? I think I think one of the other things too is, uh, and I, again, I don't think this was a was a bad thing during your game, but uh, as a storyteller. Um, I, I keep thinking you probably want to like try to remind your players oh, that yeah. they exist. Yeah, forget to put, it, put it in their heads that they're there. Yeah, that those are a thing that they need to bookkeep about, so that you don't get around to them and then be like, okay, well, what is your what is your Earth Elemental doing? Oh, uh, I forgot he was even on the board. Um, and now they're looking through a stat block. No, just make sure that it's on the forefront of your mind of like you know, that, that they need to be coming up with these sort of things. Right. Right. And they'll come up with a lot more creative stuff if they are remembering it too, rather than trying to make a split decision of, Oh, he just punches somebody, you know? Right. Right. You can have some really fun stuff. If you're prepared for it, you think about it. Yep. Yep. And I think that's as, as a plot point, I think that's a huge piece is that players, uh, players and storytellers often forget that the pets are involved in the scene as well. I mean, if they're stalking through a city looking for information, Mm -hmm. the player may not notice something, but, there's nothing to say that you can't let the uh, the animal companion or the companion or the follower make a comment. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah, your yeah. wolf starts sniffing and digging at something. Yeah. Like, oh, well, what is it? What is it, boy? Yeah. Oh, there's something buried over here. Like, that's free information you can just give them because they have an animal companion. Yeah. You know? Or or like your your advisor, you know, wizard who's who's you know, feeding you research as you're going along the trail, as you enter the the pub goes, Oh, you always take me to the nicest of places. I wonder how many fingers a bartender has lost this time. You know, and to, to kind of paint the feel of the space. Oh, this is a lovely smell you found. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for bringing me here, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, and those those types of things can be ways that your followers bring 
flavor to a scene. You know, um, you know, I tried to find you the best wine, but the, lo- the, the locals only have vintages from this year. I'm very sorry, my lord. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, you've just put information down and gave a flavor to the space. You know, third era, three twenty-seven. I wouldn't wash my horse in this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think that is where uh, they can give opinions. They can give flavor. They can, uh, you know, uh, uh, animal companions can give direct information mm-hmm. um, or even descriptions, like you know, smelling something and scrunching their face up or hiding behind you. Yeah. You know, as they're going through a dark and misty area that they're scared. Because mm-hmm. even though the player isn't scared and the character may not be, if their companion is, that adds another air because again it's on their side of the trusted wall. Oh sure. Oh sure. You know? Sure, absolutely. Um I think my my other advice for especially for like animal companions and stuff of like that, keeping them close is uh to make sure that you Kind of think of them and the PC as a contiguous unit. Okay. Uh, so don't think of the familiar or the wolf as like a separate thing. Okay. You think of them like like you would think of any other character. The fighter and his greatsword. Gotcha. The bard and his loot. The ranger and her bear. Gotcha. The warlock and their imp. Totally makes sense. You know? Yeah. It's... It's just like anything else, and is an extension of their character. That that companion, although more animate, is in a very real, very game sense, um, a tool, mm-hmm. an aspect of their character mm-hmm. that they use to get their job done. And it is no more or less special than uh, the fighter and his greatsword. No, I, or, I agree. Or the bard and his loot. Yep, I you agree. Know? I agree. Uh, I agree. And so just you just kind of mentally com- package them together. Yeah. You know? No, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, yeah. Do you want to hit questions? Do we, are we good for questions? Because I think we kind of um, exhausted over, a few things. Yeah, Was I'm looking over the rest of this here. Um, is there anything else you wanted to grab? Uh, we talked a little bit about uh, stealing the spotlight from the PCs. Yeah. Um, that's actually one, one last thing I kind of wanted to discuss here is... Uh, so, we talked a little bit about NPCs should not steal the spotlight from the Unless PCs. they're directly directed to do so. But it kind of, um, along that line of thinking, though, like, you don't want the player, the, you know, the NPC stealing the glory from the players, but you want them to be, I suppose, competent enough that they're worth having around in the first place. Okay. And what is your, um... What are your thoughts on companion follower power levels? Because, like, the two things that I always think of is, first off, you don't want them, you know, kill stealing. Correct. Like they should not be on par with the heroes because they are not the heroes. No. They're no. followers of the heroes. They're sidekicks at best. Correct. Correct. But I just envision, you know, like, okay, well, I've put... um I've put my points into the leadership feed or whatever, you sure. know, uh, the rules of this game grant me three NPC followers that have sure. X amount of hit points or whatever. Yeah. And the moment we go in against the Belrog mm-hmm. and like you, like you mentioned earlier, like I throw a fireball, are all of his companions dead? I don't know. Are they? Yeah. Like, did I spend points and advancement on a feat or an edge or whatever to get something that's literally just going to die in one shot? 
Um, this is what I kind of call the the Skelemancer syndrome, like from Diablo. Oh, like, God, yeah. Did you ever play a Necromancer in Diablo 2? I'm familiar with what you're talking and about. And you have a bunch of skeletons, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like mowing through enemies because skeletons fighting Rumpties is great. Mm-hmm. But then literally you're in Act 4, you go up against Diablo. And you're like, I have an army of skeletons. And Diablo goes, that's nice. I have a little wave of fire that hits everything on the screen. Poof. They're gone. Where are your skeletons? Right. And you go... Well, that was my one-trick oh, pony. All of my points are in skeletons. Mm-hmm. And you just one-shot them. Yeah. Well, now I don't have any other point. Like, I don't have anything I else I put points in. Right. You know? But I, I, I think in that sense, the... the that game was poorly engineered because it was engineered to follow a a different scaling. Sure, sure. I know mean, it's, I, and not, I a, it's not a one to one thing, but you understand kind of but how I that translates over from. to like. Yeah. I, okay, so I, I take the leadership feat in D anD D. I get my three NPC followers that have X amount of hit points. We're going to go fight the red dragon, right? And they get breath weaponed and killed in the first round. Yeah. Now I live because right. I've got a ton of HP because I'm a hero, right? But I spent an I spent a, a feat on them. Right. One of my few precious feats that I get. Right. To get these three NPC followers, what what happens now? Your leadership sucked. I guess. I mean, what the other th- the other part of that is the fact of, and and this is where I run, I run I, I run the same kind of thing is is that if you as a summoner summon a a, a fire elemental right, mm-hmm. and uh. Someone just one of the other player, one of the NPCs, just hits it with water, and crits it and reduces it to zero. Mm-hmm. Your spell is your summoned creature, which cost cast yeah, took you a minute to cast, a minute mm-hmm. is gone. Sure, isn't that the same? No, because that spell isn't permanently removed from my list. Ah, so here's the difference. Then the question is: Is do they get those back? I don't know. I mean. We're talking. We're not talking about a summoned magical construct. We're talking about a living, breathing humanoid being here. We're also talking about the fact that hit points are aren't actually your limbs. I mean, I I get that. Right. What I'm saying though is that there are deeper story ramifications to having three sentient humanoids follow you into battle and get one shot by a dragon than there is just a magical construct that you snapped your fingers and summoned up. I completely agree with you. And I think that's the risks. I think that having, uh, be willing to do that, you know, if you are willing to bring as a storyteller, other sentient creatures of the same caliber, but less into the game that you're putting the burden on the player to make sure that the risks that they put them against are commensurate. You are in a leadership role, you know, are you going to throw your minions at the enemy's minions and willing to let them die just as the enemy's minions die? I don't know. That's the leadership I choice. I, I, I'm, I'm honestly asking the question because like, yeah. this is, this is one of the things that I always struggle with is like, how do you have, you know, well, I've got an NPC bodyguard, right. But I can't make him strong enough to actually guard your body. Well, and here's, here's the other one that gets me. And this is, I think the, 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 the turn for me, did you ever watch Civil War, the Marvel Civil War? Uh, the movie? the, the uh, Captain America one. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene where the question gets asked. Uh, uh, I think it's in Civil War, where he, where it's uh, uh, Captain America's running outside, and uh, 
uh, I think it was, um, what is it? The, uh, uh, one of the other character goes, how do we know which ones are bad? You know, who, who we should fight. It's the ones shooting at you. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a quick dictate of who's who, but there are tons of followers and companions running for choppers, shooting at enemies, trying to get in, you know, jets to do things. And some of them are getting wiped out and others are actually doing jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think, the mentality at that point in the story you have to take is that you're, that the player is going to, has hired hirelings. Mm -hmm. And I think hirelings are different than followers or different than companions. The question is, 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 the, is the player willing to put a risk on their companions? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose it's 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 definitely a choice on the player's part to spend those points to get those companions and then say like, "Oh, well they got hurt." Well, okay. If you if you didn't want, you know, something that was fragile and squishy and could complain about being hurt after it gets hurt, maybe you should have taken a different edge or feet or something right, like that. Right, but it you know? it dictates who you are. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um the other thing you can always do, depending on where they get them in the story, is is that, again, hit points are not body parts. And if they go to zero, they go to zero. And, okay, they're on the ground. They're incapacitated. They're they're not functional. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're dead. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, they'll, they will eventually heal, just like you. Maybe not in a, you know, short rest or a long rest, but they'll bounce back and eventually be able to assist you again. Mm-hmm. And will they learn from their mistakes just like you did? Probably. You know, and then you can continue with the story with that. But, I mean, if you also hire four or five magelings, you know, who are helping with research, and you put them in front of you like a human shield to tell them all to cast, you know, magic missile at the dragon at the same time to try help you. No, they're dead. Yeah. They yeah. just got killed, and you were the ones who killed them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's obvious. Yeah. You're a terrible person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... You just you now have minions to your evil force. <laughs> You're doing you are the baddie. Alright, let's uh let's hit some of these questions here. Alright, grab one. Alright, so uh Agenmi asks, um I have a part uh, a party where two of the four members have familiars. The fighter of the group understands one of these as uh, uh to be a pet and has now expressed an interest in finding a pet for himself. Of course they have. Aside from the few questions at a couple of villages about pet stores in the area, <laughs> uh, which they then direct him to the local butcher or farm, he has not expressed uh, what he is looking for or inquired further. How much of an effort as a storyteller to make some type of pet available to him? What would you do to gen uh, gently encourage him or discourage him from considering he has not followed the leads given? First, I've, I've got a couple answers. To I've this. got several answers as well. I'll let you start. Uh, all right. So first off, um, as we discussed before, pets are not animal companions, nor are they familiars. Correct. This guy can absolutely go out and get himself a pet snake. Yep. That will hide on a hot, you know, in in in, in the warm part in, of his in, into his chest plate and curl up, and he will need to feed it mice, and that is literally all it does. Yeah. Is it will be lazy, and he yep. needs to feed it mice. Yep. Um. The the other thing is, uh, as far as like how, what the storyteller's burden to make this available to him or to encourage or discourage him. Um, personally, I I think my the amount of effort I will put in as a storyteller is uh, equal to the amount of effort the player is putting in. 
Agreed. Um, if they have asked me once and I have given them an answer and then they have not pursued it, mm-hmm. I don't feel obligated to pursue it further because clearly they are not interested in pursuing it further. Um, but I have opinions about that, but but also like I think this is a conversation you should be having out of game rather than in game. Um, for instance, uh. Sean was asking about getting a mage. Mm-hmm. And for a little while, I thought he wanted him as another bodyguard. Right. And so I was like, I don't want to have like three NPCs following you around doing all your fighting for you. You got two stabby ones, and now you want one to cast magic missile for you. And he's like, no, no, no. I was thinking for a research assistant. And I was like, oh, well, crap, that I can do, you know? Yeah. Now, now that we've talked about it, but like I thought when you said you wanted a mage follower, you wanted a combat follower, not a... Not just some some guy to like do research for. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 I don't want to put him in combat. Okay, cool. Now that I understand what your expectations are as a player, I can help implement them as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think, I think that's the, huge. The answer to this question is honestly have a conversation with your with your with your fighter player and be like, what are you at, what are you as a player, not even as a character, what are you as a player attempting to get out of this interaction? Yeah, if it's if it's a mechanical advantage, then they have to make a cost for it. Mm-hmm. There has to be some kind of cost associated with it, and gold is not a cost. Gold is something you know, uh, uh, gems, gold, whatever you want to say. It is not a, a a tangible resource unless that's something in your game that is limited. Mm-hmm. I would say go with like maybe it costs them a feat. Look for something mechanical that can assist this. I think on the other hand, if they are literally looking for a role play pet that they can role play with like the rest of the people in the group that's a problem and that's not a problem at all and i would say and this is just me i would say put the opportunity at the end of a event meaning maybe maybe they're they they go and you know search a building that's been ruined after a fight right and you know things get toppled over and whatever and as the fighter is sifting through and looking for gear he lifts up the door to you know look at what gear one of the guys had and hiding under the door is a little puppy Mm -hmm. who's scared give him that opportunity yeah or or he he finds a kitten or he finds something mundane something that's fitting of the setting and the area that they're in that is mundane. There's even rules um, I saw somewhere. Uh, I don't remember where they are. I don't remember if they're even okay. official Wizards of the Coast things for like raising different types of animals yeah. as pets. There's definitely a whole raising book. Uh, and for me, that gets right into the minutia rule of how much minutia are you willing to manage? Well, sure, but it's but it's available to you as a storyteller. Yeah. You you make that decision by yourself. But I'm I just saying, agree. is it's out there? Is if you yeah. want to go that angle with it, if you do 100%. want to give him a pet that gives him a mechanical bonus and stuff of like that, and he wants to take the time to raise it by hand mm-hmm. and you know build that bond with it over the course of several game sessions and of course of, of several in game time. You know, yeah, he's spending the role play. He's spending the role play. He's spending the resources to do it. Sure. Yeah. If that's the direction you you are okay as a that's storyteller a cost. going. Yep. Go for it, yep. you know. Lean into it. That sort of thing's out there. All right. I think we did good there. We got. Uh, Mad Elf 
Uh, if it's not part of the initial discussion, I'd love to hear some of the thoughts about mechanics of companion familiar pets. Are there separate individual characters with stat blocks? Are there spell created uh, and all their details are in the spell rules or AI and bot created? Uh, are they rules mechanics which provide attributes, powers, abilities to the owner? In essence, are they a, are, are they a trapping uh, for a spell or power in Suede, for instance? Um, I honestly think that all of those things could be true. It depends on the storyteller. It, it well it depends on the game system. And the game system. It really depends on the game system. I think. Um, well, I would definitely say it starts with a system, and I think after that, it depends on how much investment the storyteller wants. Yeah. Uh, so, like I like I was saying earlier, I think I think it's probably most important that you, um, if it is a class feature or a you know an edge or however you know whatever Hard game mechanic. system whatever game system gives you that mechanic. If it mm-hmm. is a mechanic tied to your character, um, then yeah, absolutely, it should be considered part of your character. It should be granted to you in some way. Correct. Um, if it is lost, there should be some contrivance to get it back to you. Mm-hmm. Or to um, replace it, or you know, to 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 replace it exactly. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of keeping their their stat blocks and stuff that very um very tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so keep them simple so that your your um because first off, uh, options I think are more of a character thing than an NPC thing. Like, Agreed. Um, I think characters should be dynamic enough within the space of a story to be able to do to to do multiple different things. Whereas like an NPC follower or a companion pet or something like that, um, really should be kind of a, if you'll pardon the obvious pun, one trick pony. Yep. No, very true. Uh, like it, it, it limits, it limits the player choice in combat as well. So you're never sitting there going, well, which of my five different abilities am I going to use right now for my pet? No. They can do one thing. Mm-hmm. They can smash. Right. Or maybe they've got a one-time thing they can use. Right. You know. And I think it's always can measure it to the cost. Yep. You know, if I'm burning a fifth-level spell slot for a summoned creature, I'm I'm burning a, a percentage of my abilities. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Like, but uh, if I just have a pet that doesn't cost me anything, food, service, or otherwise, it doesn't get five powers. Yes, Yes, exactly. That can be used at random, you know, ad nauseum, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I, but I think I think we did address most of that question during the yeah, uh, during the discussion. I though, definitely, so. agree. I definitely uh, agree. We're going to move on to Knox in the box. Uh, would assume that having a pet companion game is treated in a similar maintenance responsibility as real life. Hmm. Uh, that being said, there are there some systems that handle this better than others, and could they be translated into other games? Are there good online resources for managing these PC friendlies? Uh, yes, you can get into the micro. There are definitely rules out there. I know for D and D, there are several different uh, non-system rules, but there are rules for um, companions and uh, hirelings uh, and things like that in the. Um, I think it's strongholds uh, com- uh, addendum that they put out. Uh, there is some errata that I did find additionally that goes into hand, uh, pet maintenance and things like that, as mm. well as leveling of pets. Um, but again, it's not required. It's not something that's, uh, that, that's hard and fast, but if you want to get into that, lo- that minutia level, by all means, it's out there without yeah. a doubt. 
I would say, again, yeah, largely depends on the style of game you're playing. If you're playing, like, a hardcore survival thing, yeah, um, you know, and, like, food and water is a concern that you're including in your in your gaming, like, mm-hmm. you're doing a hex crawl or something. Sure. Absolutely. Like, you're, you, you need to feed your animal companion, too. Yeah. Um, not my style. No. Not my style. I like to gloss over a lot of the minutia mm-hmm. and play Fast and Furious. Uh, so, um, for me, I assume you're a hero. If you can fight a dragon, you can remember to feed your damn dog. Yeah. (laughs) Right. No, I, I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. I think, I think that, uh, the minutia, like you're not sharp. You're not telling them that they didn't sharpen their blades. So they're doing less damage. Now they're doing one day four less damage. Oh, you forgot spell components to buy spell components. So, So, you know, uh, you roll on a percentile to see if you even have it. You know, right. You know, you're not doing that. If you are, by all means, continue. That's a game that maybe your players love, but otherwise, you're adding minutia just to make your life difficult. Yeah, and so. you're you're making it so that your players have to remember to specify every last little thing that they do. Mm-hmm. And so, how much of your game is spent going? Okay, I remember to breathe. My heart remembers to beat. I eat a healthy breakfast in the morning. I have a cup of coffee. I place my right foot, then left foot, then right foot, then left foot, then right foot. You yeah. know, yeah, swinging at the hip, you know, right. walking heel toe. You know, so yeah, just be mindful of how much level of minutia you're adding to your game and whether or not your players even want it. Yeah. I I know some players who would die for this at a table of four, maybe one. Sure. The rest of them don't want Tamagotchis. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with Tamagotchi, go look it up. I'm not telling that story. I'm not that's telling a, that story. That's a great way of putting it. That's yep. a great way of putting it. Yep. Uh, so Overwatch asks, uh, players with companions often want to make them the focus of gameplay. How do you tell good stories with companions without turning the session into that episode about the dog? Oh, boy. When it's the player who's directing them constantly, they're using them like their sword or their bow or their spells. I think it's kind of okay so long as the as whatever it is returns to the owner. That it's that it's their point to shine, you know, kind of a thing. And honestly, if the if the player is doing that actively, that's still them telling the story. That's them being happy about that aspect of the story. I think the problem is is when, as an NPC, you're driving them and things are happening and you're basically telling the story that the players are watching. I think that's where your risk comes in. I agree 100%. I have nothing to add. <laughs> Dead serious. You just, you just hit all the points I was going to make. Yeah, it's... I, I think uh, I've had more than enough times where players have have leaned into their weapons, their magical weapons and things like that so far that basically the weapon becomes the legendary item of the party mm-hmm. and not the player. Yeah. yeah not yeah. that character. And, you know, uh, you know, it's it, the only way that you can shift that is to have the followers tell the story or, or people around them, a reputation, if you will become mm-hmm. attached to the character and not whatever X was. You know, um, and and that's challenging. That's that's a challenging thing because there's a lot of players who don't want to be in the spotlight. They'd much rather have their their wolf do it mm-hmm. or or their, you know, whatever, their magical creation take care of it. And they're just the little puppet master behind them quietly doing it, not wanting the fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, it wasn't me. 
my golem did all that. He's the one who deserves the statue, you know, kind of a thing. And that that's a way of storytelling. That's a way of letting your players have that bit of freedom sure. at the same time. Sure. So. Yeah, I, mean, I think sometimes, I mean, as long as, long as the agency remains with the player, I don't think there's a problem with it being the episode about the dog. Just let, let the player tell the episode about the dog, that's all. Uh, so next week's topic, we're going to be talking about storytelling without combat. Now, it's not saying that there isn't combat, that's just saying that we're kind of removing the tactical aspects of it. Yes, and how do you move through dangerous and tactical or dangerous and combative situations without pulling out miniatures? You can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave, and uh, join the discussion up on our Discord. You can find that link to our Discord up on our Twitter, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreons, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. You make this happen every month. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, our pre-show music, if you've heard it, uh, is uh, by Arcane Anthems. You can check them out at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank, Thank you so you. much for staying with us all this time, supporting us. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years give us these great stories to, and experiences to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. Love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Good night. Good night. <laughs>